0: Well, if we make it to the next episode, we're out the 27 Club. Folks, it's episode 27 of the Good to See You podcast. I'm Harrison. I'm Meg. And this week, we are talking to Rick
1: Westerkamp.
0: He is a performer, a teacher, and frankly... Probably have the best, some of the best one liners on this show to date. So I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into it. Woke up this morning,
1: didn't know what to do. So I looked around, then I saw you.
0: Yeah, it's good to see you. To see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. To see you. We're going to talk about some stuff and some other stuff too. Yeah, it's good to see you. Hello. Hello. How
1: are you? The same. The same.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Very that. Oh, look at that. Wait. So we got to talk about that coffee cup. Yes. <laughs> a llama and a bow tie. With,
2: with some rather distinguishing spectacles.
0: Mm-hmm. If you will. Yes. Yes. What you been up to, man?
2: Well, today, Saturdays are generally my um, self-care day, Um, teaching hybrid during the week, so Saturdays I sleep in a little, I catch up on Drag Race, if I'm behind on a Housewives franchise, we do that anthropological work, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Saturdays are for anthropology. Thank you, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and does does Sunday differ? Are you? Do you say? Would you say like your entire weekends are kind of like dedicated to a reset to like get I you ready for the I week? Or? Yeah,
2: I wish the whole weekend was just like lotion, gloves, and socks, and under eye masks. <laughs> um, Sundays, the like dread of Monday. Starts early in my spirit, mm. so uh, uh, yeah, and and I feel this pressure to, um, be really ready when Monday starts, mm-hmm. uh, which is like partially self imposed. Um, sure, I th- I'm a Libra. And yes. I look for balance, and I think my version of balance is control over as much as possible in normal times. And I think now my seek my like quest for control uh, is exacerbated. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so You're it, speaking- it's a lot of.
1: You're speaking straight to me. I mean, I, as a fellow Libra and I'm just like, how can I keep everything like exactly how I would like it, please? Right. It's difficult.
2: (laughs) And, um, keeping myself busy with like folding laundry or washing dishes Mm -hmm. or, or, um, like knocking something off my to-do list, uh, helps, uh, mitigate that Sunday feeling of like Monday is coming around.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and I'm so grateful that I've been teaching through the pandemic. Like I, I really am grateful for that. And it's been really grounding on a, in a lot yeah. of ways, but I think because so much is still new and I'm still adapting to so much in something that had become fairly routine, um, yeah, that, that control really centers me or, mm-hmm. or like, I don't know, veil of control. Cause I don't really know sure. control I have if I'm being honest. Yeah, but. sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But just like equipping yourself and like your space to be, yeah, I, I, I totally feel that. Yeah. Um, so Sunday is more of like a prep day. I feel you with the Sunday scaries. Monday yeah. always just Oof. feels like a make or break day. Like if mm-hmm. I do not set out on the right foot on Monday, the whole week could be just lost to me. Yeah. Do you feel like that too?
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That momentum, that, that Monday momentum to push you through the rest of the week, like really is important and I I get the big time Sunday scaries too and it for me as well manifests in like I have to do every single thing that I can possibly do to set myself up to start tomorrow well there can be no more question about like Monday being a good day
2: no it's like setting up my clothes prepping my breakfast I mean because it's all of those things like in my space if I start Monday that way then I feel like I can go out into the world and be the most me I can possibly be but
1: right about
0: that it's like ooh, she is haggard well how did that initial adjustment into hybrid or not hybrid because you were doing fully digital I'm guessing like right at the start of the pandemic and you do a lot of you teach theater right so how did that like how do you adapt like teaching theater in a classroom to teaching theater over zoom because I still don't fully understand how that would even begin to work. Um, yeah, and I'm interested about that.
2: Well, I don't think I was so great at it in the spring. Okay. Um, I was mourning, I mean, we were all mourning what we missed.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, um, yeah, and and I went into hybrid having, I think like my most successful moment as a director with my kids um mm. we tackled a really hard show we did puffs which is sort of like um uh oh the, the they do them with reduced shakespeare it's like reduced shakespeare yep. but for the harry potter books mm-hmm. and i double cast it and had had a large group of kids and because it's so fast paced and it's so referential uh it forced them to be uh aware of each other and the script and and uh, and their objectives differently than anything we'd done together. And it was really bad before it got good. Um, and I, I believe in that all the time. Like I feel like I yeah. need like one bad day of tech to like shake me of my complacency, to make me like do the thing I'm there to do. Totally. Um, or Or like a run through of like an act or something, just to like make me feel alive, like be present in this room. Um, so they had that for a longer period than normal with me, uh, but then they turned it around. So we were feeling so good and I was, uh, I was so glad that we were able to do it and it didn't have to turn into like a virtual show. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think that would have, that would have killed all of us. Um, so, uh, going into it with like really positive feelings and then, um, s- slowly starting to see, um, that maybe what I had planned, or what we had been in the middle of when we went into virtual school, just like needed a full revamp, or like a new eye, or or like a twist or something. And realizing how important connection was, and because I have a curriculum, but like no one in my school is really coming around to my room to be like, "Well, are you like where are you in the year?" Like no mm-hmm. one cares. It's drama class. We're giggling. We're, we're acting a fool. and zapping. It's wonderful. We zip zap up like you wouldn't believe. Well, you would believe, but one may not believe. Yeah. So it became so much about connecting and about um, sharing how we're feeling in a day and other kids being able to hear themselves reflected back to, by their peers and and about making eye contact over a Zoom call and about mm. listening to each other and, and about laughing. So projects or things like that like they happened and and um I sort of let them happen on a schedule that worked for each individual kid like so much grace with like due dates and things I mean it because like hi we all needed it um oh yeah
0: it's really hard but it
2: became it is and and um if you are so like we had I had a couple students who really thrived because they were able to film individually at home and send it mm. to me instead of performing front of the whole class and part of me was like why had I never done that before like our school has a one-to-one laptop program every kid could have done this for this project and not like I was here like this is the one hurdle you have to get over in my class like we'll do it together like I was gonna mm. sherpa them through this project but really if doing this in front of all of your peers is hard then like you should have been able to do it at home with like your grandpa's walking stick a cloak and and a prop bag of whatever you're carrying over your mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that way, it was great. And then, um, but then some kids are so social and thrive off of that. And that really um, buoys their success in school. So it was like, how do you serve those kids? And then some kids have um, a lot of trouble with organization, even when they're in the building. So when they're left to their own devices, like you really have to have, um, you're, you're using that connection to really help that kid because if they're connected to you, then you can step in and help like check out what, uh, organizational supports they have in place for themselves. So, um, yeah, connection became so important and it's so, it's sometimes it feels silly for me to say this, but, uh, cause I, I'm one of those people who's like, well, like we're making art. So like naturally we're connected because like theater, mm-hmm. but like, like I, I, I was connecting, but now I connect with, like, this year, I think I've connected with every single one of my kids, and in the past, I've connected with the majority, but there have definitely been kids that, like, I I, I may not, like, try as much, or I may not know how, so I I give up in trying to connect with them, but really, at the beginning of every semester, I made that, like, the, the thing to do, like, the objective was to connect with every single kid and to, like, know something about them, something they like, something to bring them into what we're doing, and that has has uh, garnered like the most success in every other thing I'll try after that, um, mm-hmm. yeah, which has been great. Like it, it's made it so fun in a, in a different way, um, sure. But it definitely makes making theater over these cameras so much easier.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I, 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 I love. Well, first of all, like I agree completely that like the. The idea of like doing theater a- a education like is so centered around connecting and and like creating real connection between people and like how many theater classes I, I mean I took theater classes where people like who were non majors or whatever would take them and literally the simple act of eye contact makes them blush and makes you feel awkward mm-hmm. and that is tricky totally. um, and I, I especially
1: think if- we should clarify the for the audience Rick teaches middle school girls. So that is a really like key thing at that age, like peer to peer contact in a positive, like a positive peer connection, you know, and like what those skills are. It's just such a crucial time for that kind of stuff, you know? Um, yeah.
0: And, and yeah. I think um, I'm curious, like what that looked like for you when you were younger, um, if you had that kind of community and connection through theater and theater education, um, because obviously it's something that, you're passionate about and speak with a lot of passion of. And I'm wondering, like, did you have theater educators when you were younger that did that for you, et cetera?
2: So I always hated theater games. Like, they made me want to jump out of my own skin. I, Uh like, felt so much pressure. And I think it's so much of that is, like, centered around identity. Like, uh, when I, I took my first theater class in third grade and... Looking back, everyone was so much bigger than me that I'm pretty sure my parents just like talked to the people and were like, he's gotta do theater. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like everyone was, everyone was definitely at least a grade above me. So I, I don't know what that was about, but uh, I felt so uncomfortable doing every exercise in that first class. Like everything, I just like shrunk into myself and and like wanted the world to go away. Um, but I kept going back, so I think, like, at it, on some level, I was, like, self, you need to see this through. By the end of that, I was not, like, good by any measure. I did not leave that being, like, well, I killed it. Like, mm-hmm, no, <laughs> she did not kill it. She, she did not even attempt a misdemeanor. She, like, left running on her tiptoes. Um, because I started in dance when I was three, and I had so much... Um, again, not even success. Maybe I was a glutton for punishment. I, I loved being on stage. I could pick up choreography, but I was not like good at it. I I, like, yeah, I, I was not someone who like was getting praise all the time for like doing anything technically proficient, but we would get on a stage at the end of the year in like some local auditorium and I could turn on a smile and I knew what to do timed to the music and through that I got into theater so like third grade to like first or second grade I I was just taking dance class and then in third grade I um joined a competition team at my studio so we did like the dance moms thing of like (laughs) touring New Jersey every weekend from like January to May um performing these routines against, well, being adjudicated and then placing against other studios and things. And cute worked for like a couple years. Like I got mm-hmm. noticed a lot because I had like this big cheesy smile and looked like I'd rather be nowhere else on planet earth. <laughs> um, and I did a lot of tap because I I could pick up, like I was good at tap. I was not like a flexible little boy or or like a tumbly little boy but but I could tap dance and um slowly we added other things in and uh my my dance teacher sat me down in in like middle school ish and was like you know like now things get technical so you need to decide like if a stage presence forward situation is what you want to do, and maybe that means theater, or if you want to continue with this, and that means like training differently or or putting, putting in a different kind of effort or something, and uh, I did both. I, I started pursuing theater after that one class where everyone was like older than me, and we were reciting like Casey at Bat, and I don't even remember what we did, but I do remember Casey at Bat was involved, not sure how. Um, so I did both. And I think like puberty was on my side. Cause uh, like little boys are not known for being like flexible rubber bands. Like I, I was true to my, to my gender in that way. Like, uh, so I think she, not that I think she was off base. Like she was like a second mother to me, but I think in that moment, like there's a different way to have that conversation. Um, which, I feel like all of us can look back on our adolescences and say, well, there's a different way to say that now that like <laughs> wouldn't mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. Um, problematic. Yep. Um, yeah. Um. So I think like staying the course was a really big thing for me. Cause I, because I was a boy and I danced, I would always be noticed in, in the, in those spaces. Like I was the only competition boy at my studio the other boy yeah, I was, was gonna ask at if... school no other boys danced, but other boys did shows um like what I switched middle schools to do um to a middle school that had a theater, an after-school theater program and uh it was run by this woman who did this summer program that I did for a couple years and like a lot of people in my town did this summer program like Early on, like my first couple of years, my mom would have to go like stand in line at like the rec center or like the board of education building to like get a spot. I don't, and we weren't even, I mean, we're talking like suburban New Jersey. So we're not talking like a Mecca of like theatrical savvy. Um, but I switched schools to to be where this woman who ran this program was and in sixth grade, we did 42nd Street. And I was like, well, I tap dance. So I didn't mm. know anything about that show. But I was like, Bitch, you better believe she's gonna bring her tap shoes. And she's gonna five, six, seven, eight, the house down boots. Um
0: wait, so I sixth did- grade doing 42nd Street?
2: Yes. That's and a big like, lift. To, to this, and like as someone who directs sixth graders, right? Like, it wasn't even like 42nd Street Junior, it was the show.
0: That is, like, deranged a little bit. It's like, all it right.
2: It was, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, but it was, like, the best experience of, like, my life. Well, not of mine. Of course. My life. That, that comes later. But it was the best. Like, there were, like, 12 or 15 of us who could tap dance, who, like, took lessons and knew what to do. And then for We're in the Money, we taught the whole cast how to do a time step. So there were kids in the aisles and then like the whole stage was filled and we all did like a first time step for like the final chorus. Wow. It was really cute.
1: That's special, uh, oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like though, and, and like, uh, so I was featured in that, but because I was tap dancing, it wasn't like I came in like triple threat and was like, I'm going to crush it. Like I, that didn't happen. And then in seventh grade, we did Anything Goes. I tapped a little bit. And I sang a little bit and I was not a singer, like I was loud, but uh, you could hand me your keys and I couldn't stay in one of them. So uh, (laughs) I did have like a little solo, I don't remember what it was, but again, I I did my tap dancing thing. And then in eighth grade we did Footloose and I walked in being like, oh, I'm gonna be Ren. Like no one else in this town dances and no one in this town can dance, like done. (laughs) I was cast as Willard
0: which is is my mama says one who who, who? yes okay
2: okay yes who like can't dance but then he can because she sings let's hear it for the boy and everybody's like he can dance um yeah and just like if that's the comedy queen and up until that point I hadn't done anything comedic on stage and I I didn't I don't know I didn't want the role because it was an ingenue I wasn't like oh I'm totally a romantic lead like I knew I wasn't that but I didn't know that I was funny I think I thought I could be funny as a person, but not like on stage. I was like, oh, on stage, I'm not funny. Um, mm-hmm. But spoiler alert, I was, and that felt really great. But I, but yeah, like drama classes, and I tell my students all the time, drama classes were not where I thrived in my training, mm-hmm. even in college. Um, uh, sometimes I did, but but the games thing, like drama games and like connecting with other people, I was not good at that. And I think because I wasn't like solidly standing in my truth, and was trying at like it's this weird cognitive dissonance of like I the thing that brought me the most joy was dancing, but that was the thing that separated me from other people. So mm-hmm. I it it like I didn't know how to justify that in my mind for a long time. And I think like all of the not all of it, but there was a lot of LGBT talk at this time. We're talking, like, late 90s, early 2000s, and it was, like, all Matthew Shepard all the time, understandably. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to come into your queerness, and, yeah, it, that I think that, that played, like, an interesting part. But then, like, Rent was also popular, but, like, again, like, but we're it's suffering. Big, like, it's big so. queer
0: trauma. It's a big time totally. of, like depiction in the like general popular culture the only discourse around queerness was largely around like queer trauma yeah
2: yeah so um so I think that got in my way a little bit and I didn't love middle school like in um yeah and in like socially or like going class to class like that was not my cup of tea so I think now that I'm in a middle school every day being an agent for positive change and for people coming together and for like collectivism, even if we're not like the best of friends, like we're all humans and we all want to support each other. Like promoting that in a middle school space, I think is like a bandaid for my middle school experience mm. um, in like the best way. And, and I started teaching little kids like uh, rising pre-k to rising second grade still do it sometimes but it's like a one-person show like you are wiping the noses opening the go-gurts tying the shoes cleaning the pee like you are Mm -hmm. and you're getting it all on the bus and truck to do it again uh so that was not my uh I don't know island of confidence Mm. um but middle school where you can still be like wacky and you can still be creative and you can pull it out of all of them and and you can help gain like some social capital for that really eccentric kid who Mm. sort of comes in like separating themselves from other people like that is where my joy lies because then you get to high school and they think they know it all and they want to read you like a scripture and I Mm -hmm. quake in my boots Mm -hmm. like fully yeah not like looney tunes shaking so hard I lose all of my hair and fun fact I'm a cartoon cat like yeah that's me with high schoolers but middle schoolers are my island they are my
1: people uh, And how long have you been teaching middle school?
2: So I've been at my middle school. This is my sixth year during the school year and my seventh year after school. And then prior to that, I taught with Roundhouse for like three or four years. I still do that over the summers. Roundhouse is like my summer theatrical home. Um, And that's sort of where I learned like
1: everything I know. Did you kind of always like know you wanted to be a teacher in addition to like pursuing uh, pursuing being an a performer?
2: I think so I when I was mm, at my dance school, I would um, assistant teach like late middle school through high school. okay. And I think a lot of that was because I could spot people for tumbling, so I could, like, spot back handsprings and side aerials and back tucks, and and it also made me demonstrate, and I think in a way, my teacher was like, you need, like, this is easy extra training, like, if you're trying to get other people to do this the right way, you're going to be thinking about it, and You'll be here doing it. You won't have to like force yourself to do it at home. I don't know sure. that she was that like alphabet during her cauldron about it, but but I I hope she was it kind of in a way. Um, but that didn't mean I wanted to be a teacher, but I did like that extra time and I liked working with kids and I liked connecting with kids. So I think kind of that was there. Um and then I would come back and teach during high, like in high school, on like breaks or summers. I would do like a master class, whatever. And now to think of that, like, what, like, why was I giving a master class? Master class and what, like, throwing shade and like eating a sandwich? Like, what's going on? But I did it, and it was it it what I mean. It clearly filled me with joy. And then um, my favorite college professor. Four of us took a. like seminar with her last, uh, the last semester that we were at GW and it was called like acting in the real world. And it was showing us like multiple facets of the business from like working on film. She broke down auditioning. She took us to, um, observe the league auditions that year. Um, and she and her husband run, well he runs, um, she is no longer with us, but they ran, run, um, Uh, ETC, educational theater company out in Virginia. And on our way to the leagues, we all packed into her uh, minivan to go together. And on our way, she was talking about hiring teachers. And she said something that like really stuck with me at that point. She was like, I know a lot of theater artists, especially young theater artists will teach as a way to still be in theater and make connections, but also make money. And she was like, I, in my interviews, um, specifically look for people who want to teach first and make connections and be in the business like second. She really wanted to hire people who wanted to teach. And I heard that message in like the back seat of her car and I was like, okay, now it's not the time for me because I, was going to, I think I, I wanted to like see about teaching for her, but I clearly wasn't the kind of teacher she wanted. And um, cause I wasn't in a place where I was going to do it for the right reasons. Yeah. But then after I tried arts management and I tried dancing for a couple companies in DC and doing like really grassroots kind of theater like fringy kind of stuff for the first like five or six years out of college um I slowly came around to teaching for the right reason and uh was able to tell her that before she passed which was like huge because she was amazing
0: yeah that's wonderful I'm I'm glad that that you got to get that full circle moment
2: oh it was like it was fully chills when I was able to tell her, like, I'm doing this and all because of what you said to me, like, it, I took this journey to get here and I sort of wanted to jump the line and just start doing it. But it, I wasn't, like, it wasn't in my heart to do it until now. So that was great. Yeah.
0: I I, I want to talk a bit about, we talked, we've talked a lot about teaching, but I want to talk about performing because you're one of my favorite people on stage and to be on stage with. Oh my God. Um, at like, were you, were your parents creative? Like growing up, like what was the creative environment where you were in? Were you putting on little shows when you were younger and stuff like that?
2: So my dad is an arbitrator and a mediator and a lawyer And my mom was a registered nurse and an OR nurse. And then she got her BA in economics from Rutgers and her masters at Princeton and worked for the state of New Jersey for like five to seven years. And then uh, when they were in their forties, they were like, well, we're not gonna have kids, but we're going to um, adopt. So they adopted me from Colombia, and then, like two, three years later, they adopted my brother from a different city in Colombia. And they were not—they um, were not artists themselves, but they had an appreciation. Like they, uh, my dad's parents would take them to the theater, and they would go to the theater with friends. And um, as I started getting really into performing and like dancing and they would pull out old playbills and they saw like Patty Lepone in Evita and like all of these things and like wow. honest and like my mom has this obsession with a chorus line and I remember my parents sitting me down to watch West Side Story and sitting me down to watch Grease and and um Tommy Tune and Hello Dolly and um it was so funny to me because I was learning that these people were like huge, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we saw Patti Lupone in Evita," period. Next sentence, and I uh, meanwhile my my jaw's like on the floor. Um. So, and we lived in New Jersey, which I already said, but uh, so we went into New York to see a lot of shows. And um, growing up, I was obsessed with cats. Like, I <laughs> it yeah, and I'll tell anyone, it and I, I will justify it. it to the end of the of like the day and then tomorrow morning. Thank you. I was obsessed with the discs, the two discs, um, dancing around my parents' living room to them nonstop. I still remember the commercial with like the cat eyes and then the dancer twirling in the cat eye and, and the like, sweet.
0: Now doo-dee-dee. and forever
2: at, right. <laughs> and like now and forever at the Winter Garden theater and girl you better believe I saw it at the Winter Garden theater. Um, lived my best life. It was the first Broadway show I ever saw you have um, a
1: favorite cat? So here's the thing. <laughs> Sorry um, to diverge, but I just have to no, know. But,
2: but, but are we diverging? Like, we are still on cats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I identified as Mr. Mistopheles growing up, because I was Me like, do. he is the dancer. He twirls sure. in the light-up coat. He he does the turns. And I was like, this, this is the ticket. But I was a closet skimble shanks. Mm, I, I love hearing. I'm here for a cat in a tweed vest and <laughs> a pocket watch and a jaunty little cap. So so that was my like my youth was a lot of that. And then I made a friend at this theater program I did at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. My parents let me take the train into Newark by myself. I was going into fifth, going into sixth grade. So, like, not really when you want your child going into Newark by himself, but, I don't know, that was a bit of... And
0: what era of the 90s is and this? Or like, what year of the 90s is this? Like, this is, like, way like 2000.
2: This okay. is, like, the summer of 2000.
0: Okay, so so New York is, like... Oh, no, New York so is, like, still tail end. That's what I'm saying. Like, New York's on the tail hmm. end of being, like, an extremely fucked up yeah. place. Like, <laughs> like... Well, the, and I was going the, into
2: Newark, New Jersey, which is, like, a little... It's, like, outside the city, urban pre Cory Booker sort of Okay. Like. okay uh, but okay. my dad worked in Newark. So I like, he was there if anything happened, like his, I believe his office was walking distance from the Performing Arts Center in Newark. Um, Cause sometimes we would go in together. Uh, but I made this friend and his family friends and siblings would go to the beach near my house every summer and they put on shows at, at mm. their beach house. And they did cats, and because I was an unknown quantity, I couldn't be Mr. Mistopheles. But you best believe I served ensemble cat realness. So then <laughs> I went back to my backyard, which is full circle serving ensemble cat realness because I think an ensemble is really where I thrive. But um, so then I went back to my backyard in, in New Jersey, just not with the beach. With my like neighbors and my little brother. And I was like, well, if he can put on a production of cats at his beach house, I can put on a production of cats in my backyard. I have a jungle gym. So, um, (laughs) I put on a production of cats in my backyard. It was not much to talk about, but... I got to play Mr. Mistopheles because I wasn't an unknown quantity in my backyard and I doubled as Skimble Shanks, which I'm going to say is like not a dream track in terms of like being tired, but like it Mm. is, if you want to fill your soul.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wait. So Mm -hmm. did you give yourself a good, like, so I always, I had the cat's VHS when I was a kid and Mm -hmm. Mistopheles was always my favorite. And I have to say, I always wanted to fight and was very uncomfortable by Rum Tum Tugger. Something's going on with that Mm. cat and he needs to get into a fight. Um, but Mistopheles, I always loved him because he had the best entrance in the show. He comes down from the ceiling, um, like, riding that pole. And then he shoots. Yep. He not only just prances around doing this amazing dance, but he's shooting electricity, like, just all yep. over the stage, doing the same magic trick. Truly epic. Um, I'm a Mistopheles at heart, too. I'm I, a Mistopheles with, uh, I think I got a bit of a... Uh, um, I can never fucking remember these silly cats' names. <laughs> Rumple Teaser. Who's the ones who does the Mon- they do the silly cats? Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser. Yeah, I'm like yes. I, I'm like a Mungo Jerry Rising. I think.
2: I think you are. You were born to do partner cartwheels. <laughs>
1: I like uh, uh, Bambalarina, who does McCavity. I mean, like, I she's got a great track the whole yes. show. Macavity.
0: Yeah, that is a good track. Yeah, well, and that song. I would song...
2: Like, live to hear that song in your voice, Meg, then. I would just. Oh, like, my gosh. Thank you. That would be you. the uh, sensation moment.
0: <laughs> Holy. Um, and what drew you to GW? Like, I brought you to D.C., you know, like, because yeah. you're here now.
2: Yes i'm I'm very here um well, I had always dreamed of going to n y u and I don't know really if that was just like reading about Tish in every Broadway person's bio at that time but uh, but that definitely had something to do with it and a girl from my dance studio went there, and um I just thought like, well, if she could go there, I could go there. Meanwhile, she was like. 11 years older than I was, so I didn't really know her, but I just remember watching them say like, and she's going to NYU at the end of the year and being like, well, see you there, girl. Not that we would be there at the same time, but you know, metaphorically. Right. And then I went on a tour of it when I was in high school. My parents took me to see Stomp and they were like, well, it's off Broadway. I'm like, walk around New York. I'm like, check out like Columbus Circle. And I was like, oh, okay. And seeing how spread out it was gave me a lot of anxiety and i i don't know i guess i was just thinking like how would i again like control like how would i set myself up for success because i was looking at it like two year two or three years down the, the pipe and i was like how would i set myself up for success if if my school is all over a city, like like I could do it, but because of the structures that I knew I needed for, for myself to be successful and to feel confident and to feel comfortable and to feel safe, I just, that sounded like a lot of internal work on top of being on my own for the first time, even though my family would be across the water in New Jersey, it still felt like a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I did a pre-college program at Penn State And we did, you like, got like four college tours out of it. We like, we came down here and we toured Johns Hopkins, Maryland, GW, and like Towson maybe, Towson Mm -hmm. or American. And uh, I fell in love with GW in terms of like a campus, but like enclosed in a city, but like the city Mm -hmm. is all around you at the same time. I was really into that. And I had this, I didn't really have any working artists in my sphere to emulate at the time or to ask questions of like, how did you do it? Or or that kind of uh, a situation. And I was good at school not good at standardized testing, but like I could get a good grade in my classes from like projects and participation. And I tried really hard and I really liked to read. So that really Mm -hmm. helped, especially once you get to like AP classes and, uh, I applied to GW poli-sci major, theater minor, and signed up for a dance class. Oh, but how did I get there? Well, so I I did that tour of GW. I really liked it. Came home, um, applied early decision to Vassar, got waitlisted, was like, I want to, I want to be in college. I was in November of senior year. I was like, I want to be in college. I want to know I have a future.
1: Hmm.
2: Let's send off this early decision to GW. So I did it and got in. And then I was like, I I was sort of of the mind of, I'll get into a school as long as I know theater and dance happen there, I'll like make it happen for myself. Um, Again, not really knowing what I was looking for, but knowing that I didn't, at that time, auditioning, auditioning not just in dance, but like having to do a monologue and having to appear self aware to other people, I think was really stressful. <laughs> mm. So, so I think I knew a conservatory was not for me and, and I thought I would make it happen when I got there. Yeah.
1: And then what's, what stuck about DC for you or what do you, what has, what's been like the thing that's kept you here?
2: Interesting. Well, I, I love DC. Um, just like the feel of the city it's not i don't feel the like hectic um adrenaline surge that i personally feel in new york like Me i still too. love to visit new york i love to be there but uh but i i can find my my calm and like my inner peace in dc
0: yep hmm. i have uh, new york there's something about the fact that there's, it's so, it's constantly in motion, and, like, even the places there are, no disrespect to New York, just speaking for myself, I cannot get the, like, rest, reach a state of calm in, like, a box. Like, you never really feel like you get rest, because even the apartments, like, are super small, and everything is, everything is cramped, and I, like, am a pretty anxious person, and I definitely have a little bit of claustrophobia, and so, like, being in New York, it's just too tight. It's too tight well, and too busy. And I'm like, Whoa. There's no
1: There's no like controlling factor of New York. They can constantly go up and they are constantly going up. And it's getting darker and like you can't see the sun. Whereas DC, like, nothing can be taller than that monument. So you better keep it low. We're gonna see the st- the stars here. We're gonna see the sky. There are trees. And That's we're gonna enough. like, there's trees. There's like the something about like the sidewalks are like tan and not gray. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, that's something for me too. It just yeah. feels like a little more like uh lighter,
0: you yeah. know? Right. Well, and there's also something to be said, like there's trade-offs everywhere, you know, like with that of difference of pace, like there's a different pace, even to the culture around here, you know, like mm-hmm. you are not going to have at any given night, four of the biggest acts in music playing in small clubs all around the city you know you're not gonna have the most the absolute upper echelon most elite performers in the world bunched in four blocks now you're gonna have like some of that's like you're gonna see that stuff around here it's just not gonna be available eight times a week uh with seven different varieties of it um within a couple blocks of each other you know you just like there's different trade-offs it takes 30 minutes to fucking get anywhere around here and uh Mm -hmm. you know but yeah. I agree with you about that. And and right out of school, what did you, what were you doing? You said you're doing fringe stuff.
2: So I, uh, I, in my senior spring, I booked with a, um, an alum of GW who received a grant through the Kennedy Center to do a um, new modern dance piece at the Kennedy Center that September. And then to do a full length, full evening evening length show at Dance Place that February, and I, being someone who likes to know the next step, a fair deal in advance, jumped at that opportunity. I was like, "Well, I still get to dance. I really, I still loved dancing at that point. Um, it brought me a lot of joy." And having like a a dance centric job after graduating with a, with a double major in dance and theater. I was like, oh great. Like, That's like a portion of my life that I know about. Um, and then I got a job working the front desk at a dance studio that no longer exists. Did I do anything else or was it just those two things? I don't know that dance studio job was like really hard and really hectic, and it was like an, an upstart nonprofit. And I also had a desire, I thought to do like nonprofit management. Um, so getting in the ground floor was good for like as like a first thing to like really be hands-on in a number of different um settings, like hiring volunteers and handling work studies and I learned mind-body software, which like if I was gonna work in a dance studio anywhere is like, or like a yoga studio or anything is like really important to know. So I got a lot of hands-on experience. I also got um, paid very little for doing a lot of work which I learned quickly, mm. but and, and like sublimated my rage in ways. Um And then from dancing for this one um, person, another alum who I had danced for while I was at GW started a company. So I danced for her as well. And sort of helped manage her company a little bit. I did some fundraising. We went to Chicago Fringe. Um, I helped fundraise that. And for like two years out of college, I was feeling really connected to artists. I just wasn't feeling connected to making money. (laughs) um and and I felt like something was missing I I had a uh semi bad injury um dancing with with one of my with one of those companies um and didn't have health care at the time um and and it was a rare dance injury it was like an injury that like hockey players get that when I went to get an x-ray they were like how did you do this to yourself? And I was like, Well, I was doing a dance move called Flying Low and landed on my shoulder, and he was like, Oh shit! Um, so that was it. Was fascinating to deal with that, not in a school setting. Um, my parents didn't know how to deal with it. They they were just like, We'll send you the money for that X ray and hope you feel better. Like I don't know that any parents know how to help you with that, but. Uh, but mine definitely weren't, weren't really equipped. I mean, they did a lot to help, but it was still like, what do you do? Um, right. So at that point I started auditioning, um, for not smaller things, but I just wasn't, I wasn't like doing EPAs at like signature or studio or wherever I was doing. I was like, I would work with one person and they would tell me about an audition somewhere. So then I would go audition for that other smaller thing. And, uh, and I, it, it was nice because I, I was feeling like I was building community. I was still dancing for a couple companies while doing this, but theater is definitely more supported monetarily in this town than dance. And I learned that fairly quickly and uh, got in with a company called Dance Ethos and was able to choreograph there. So that felt really good. Like, I'm not ju- not just, but like not... I'm not singularly making someone else's ideas come to fruition. Like I'm also Mm. having the opportunity to put my ideas out there Um, or like, or pieces that were my idea forward as opposed Mm -hmm. to being like a cog in the machine of another person's creativity. Sure. Um, And, and, uh, oh, and then, and then I started going to like bigger EPAs and things like, five years in, and, like, the first thing I did that, like, felt different or, like, next level, um, I understudied at studio for Astro Boy and the God of Comics with Natsu Onoto Power, and, um, that, like, everything about that felt so, um, important, for lack of a better word, and mm-hmm. to see, like, the, the, um, Cause like prior, like that prior summer, I was in a fringe show, and we had to walk our set down Fourteenth Street into Studio. Like every time that we performed, and I just like I remember doing that, like lifting this papier mâché and steel thing down the street, and being like, "This is not the dream, Queen." Mm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like grateful yeah. for the opportunity. At and and that's something. Um, that's something I think uh, I'm grateful for this time like I'm not grateful for the pandemic but I'm grateful for forced slowing down because I am someone who to a fault will remind myself how grateful I am to be in a room to the point that I don't value my own voice or my own experience of a person or a creative toward me or on me or around me Mm -hmm. and um I've been lucky that like the last two to three projects I did uh, pre-COVID were very person forward and sort of um, the culture of those three uh, rooms was like, you are an individual first as production comes second to you and your humanity. um, Because unfortunately that's not my experience of like the standard. uh, but yeah, but but doing that show, understudying that show at, at Studio was like the start of um, seeking more opportunities like that out for myself.
1: And I guess to the point of like learning how to advocate for yourself and like knowing your worth as an artist, I'm wondering if like you find, if you're finding ways like as a teacher um, to to like instill that in your students, you know, it's something that I think, um, I mean, I'm so grateful for a lot of, for so much of my like arts education, but I was taught in a a lot of ways to be like a martyr. Oh yeah. For for what I, for what I was doing. And, and and, you know what, like to.
0: Like, like, ignore yep. and funerals and weddings and, like, come, like, put on your, like, little costume because, like, if you don't, like, somebody else is going to bite their arm off to do it. It's, like, that is so I mean, unhealthy. Like, that is not conducive planned, to making like, good things. Sorry.
2: I did, like, the last week of a show with pneumonia because we didn't have any swings. I was, like, yeah, uh, yeah I, my inhaler was backstage. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I was so grateful for that opportunity, and I was so grateful to be in that room. But too many times, I tell myself, and it—it it, some maybe it doesn't always come uh, explicitly from the people in power in a room, but you can definitely feel because of how other lesser situations are treated. You can sort of predict in your mind or tell yourself how you'll be treated if you speak up for something. Mm-hmm. Um, after you see something else treated a certain way. And that's not to say that if I had said, hey, I can't do this last week of this show with pneumonia, people wouldn't have been lovely and wonderful. I'm sure there's a possibility that they might have, but I did not feel that I would have been totally supported had I done that. So, um, Sure, there was a precedent set.
0: Absolutely. And about the culture created, right? Like the culture creative is not conducive to someone saying, hey, I have this issue and I can't do the show tonight. You know, that is a... that. And that is something that I think, like, um, I'm really grateful to the last project that I did before COVID, which was with you, Rick, which I think was, like, a really beautiful room that was really centered around just, like, making sure everybody had what they needed to do to execute this thing that we were all making together, which is what it should be. Um, But. Uh, I really hope that going forward and, and I mean, this kind of speaks larger, like what you, exactly you're hitting on, like how even these huge scandals that come out, um, these big, um, when you find out, Oh, like these big uncoverings about like the cultures at that places, that's how this happens. It starts with little things and somebody notices mm-hmm. a little thing and says, Oh, I won't mention my little thing. And somebody else notices those two people and decides not to bring their big thing, you know, and it spirals and yeah. spirals and spirals. Um,
2: Yeah. With my kids, I think, I think it starts with me and I don't always handle stress well and I um, can, can take too much on also. And Mm -hmm. my kids are the first to point it out when I'm doing that. Um, But they're also the first to do that thing that I talked about, where like one thing that's affecting me is bothering me. So I'm not going to tell anybody because I don't want to like rock the boat. And the the biggest thing that I tell my students is is, um, that we're here to have fun. We're here to, to tell a story and to have fun. And that if we're doing those things, then we can solve every other issue or every other thing that comes up, every personal thing, and that um, theater is all about plot plot twists, and if we wanted something to be perfect, we'd make a movie where we can do another take, but, like, my favorite moments as a performer are when I've watched my, uh, I've watched, like, my castmates cover something up brilliantly after we've mm-hmm. done a show for, like, a mm-hmm. number of weeks, or where I've had to do something to cover something up, like those are the moments that that give me joy and fill my cup. And yeah. I try to communicate that to my students that like as a director, when I see them do that, those are the moments I'm proudest of being their teacher and being a director. So it really is in that modeling that like, yeah, that that the the objective of our shows is for everyone involved to have a good time and for the audience to have a good time. And that if we're, suffering in silence, we're not going to be able to hmm. do that to the best of our ability.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think that's, I mean, that's so important. And yeah. I really like, man, I, I just, I could have benefited from hearing that, you know, as like a young artist. And so I'm so, I'm so glad that your students have that.
2: Me too. I mean, like they just give me this job and, and these kids, these kids probably more than the job. They brought clarity to my acting career. I booked shows that I would not have booked pre-being a teacher because my schedule made it so that I had to seek out opportunities that fit with my schedule and or adapt a little bit. I mean, like, I did you in Town and was teaching five days a week. I, I did Cabaret and was teaching. <sighs> I did Cabaret at only and I was teaching five days a week. I, like, but... Those are the experiences that fueled me the probably the most performing, mm. and that gave me real life experiences to bring back to my students. Like being in, like when I'm in a show and teaching simultaneously, I'm I'm living the thing I'm teaching them to do, mm. so I have more to tell them um, and more to to impart to them, and and I can apply um, industry standards to what we're doing, to how we do our shows. And I, and I can let them know, like, this is how professionals do it, or this is like, sure. like how you would do it if you were in, um, a professional rehearsal environment. So, um,
1: it's important yeah, I, I'm that like, the educator yeah. is like in touch. I, I don't know. I think that's super important, especially in something that is rapidly changing. It's constant oh. change. And like, So for I, you um, to be tapped in is, is critical for them.
2: I was so nervous to bring my to bring my um, cabaret contract into my contract negotiation at my school. Like I was, sure. I was really, I was like, because mm, I'd been telling myself <laughs> pre-pandemic that I would continue to try to work on this level while I'm teaching as much as possible, and then maybe phase education out to be more performance forward if that opportunity presented itself that was sort of like my personal I don't know mantra going forward sure and um I didn't I like I don't know it's also when I go into things and I don't expect them to happen that they happen like I went in for cabaret and was like oh every time I see cabaret like all the cabaret boys are like rail thin twinks who like can hold their leg behind their opposite ear and bend over sideways. And I was like, that's just not what I bring to the table. And uh, so when I, when I booked it, I just like was on cloud nine and then reality set in and I was like, Oh, what do I do? (laughs) So we, I talked about it with multiple people at my school and presented it sort of the way that you just stated it, Meg, like, being in this production is a value-added opportunity for my students and for this community, because I can make what we do better, and it'll make what I do with the kids better. Mm -hmm. Um, And they totally um, agreed, and we made it happen. It wasn't seamless, but um, as I've been, I don't know, for like nine months breaking down in my own personal spirit, um, perfectionism is a pillar of white supremacy. So the more that we dismantle that or that feeling that things need to be perfect or need to be held to a perfect standard, uh, the the better we're doing for our students and for their families.
1: Yeah,
0: I I want to touch on something that got mentioned earlier in the show sort of and hasn't brought up a bit. And I think it's sort of related to teaching. Um, So you to me are somebody who is very emblematic of living their truth. And in that, in our conversation already, you've mentioned a handful of times this kind of, like, difficulty with grappling with identity. Um, and I'm sort of curious about your journey to being... Uh, you know, somebody who, whether or not you think so, like you are viewed as like, at least by me, as someone who lives truth truthfully. So I am curious as how you kind of like have come into your own, you know, that's a, I imagine like the amount of outsidering, like feeling like, I, I don't know if you felt as someone who was adopted, I know that can come about, dancing, um, being a, a gay man, like uh, and And you live it so fully, and so I'm interested in that journey, what that journey was has kind of been like for you
2: um so my parents were always like outrageously supportive, not out it's not outrageous, they were supportive, but they were just like one hundred and ten percent supportive. I could have told them anything, and it, it within the four walls of our house, it would have been totally fine, and they would have normalized it and I would have had space to speak it to power, whole wholeheartedly. Um, uh, Yeah, it was in our greater community um, that it wasn't always. I mean, uh, being adopted and being gay weren't very um, accepted in like the nineties. Like dancing, right? Uh, Was dancing uh, like you know, like
0: that's where it's like you add dancing to it, and it's
2: like, yeah. Yeah, so it, it was, I think the the adoption thing is interesting because I am lighter skinned Latino and have passed for white like virtually my entire life. Um, and my dad has dark hair as well. So if neighbors and people in our community saw me getting out of the car with my dad, it was like, oh, like Rick kind of looks like his dad. So that was uh, normalized but my brother is darker skinned Latino. So when he was with either of my parents, it was very obvious that he was not um, their biological child. And uh, I think the dichotomy of that in our house was really interesting. Um, My brother is also a performer and he's also gay. um, And he started grappling with it earlier than I did. Like I, uh, and dance helped this in a way like, from an early point dance went from a hobby to like the thing I did like how I identified and because it was so much of my schedule I didn't have a lot of like um free time with peers for for my identity to come up like it was mostly mm-hmm. at school um like I did things with I don't want it to be like he was a dancing hermit like every day like days hey, in the <laughs> attic like it, it was not that but I didn't I missed a lot of like social things to pursue dance at this level that I that sure. I wanted to do it and and wanted to keep doing it. Um in late elementary school, early middle school, uh someone we, we still don't know who spray painted um Rick is a fag on my family's garage. And um that was really hard on a number of levels. Um I we were also a very Catholic family and very involved in our church. And the messaging I received on those Sundays and at CCD was that, um, like, I couldn't be this with the rest of my family and be gay. Or I could, I just couldn't, like, practice or <laughs> practice. Girl didn't take practice. Uh, but I couldn't be my authentic gay self in this faith community. And so that, and seeing this, cause like it took us a while for it to get painted so you couldn't see. And then it took a while for the paint to blend so that you couldn't see that like, oh, something happened. So literally every time we got in our car to go to school or to go anywhere, I'm sitting in the front seat next to one of my parents, like looking at this. And that was really hard. Um, uh, and then like, there were people who who picked on me and, and that felt hard. And there were parents who, um, perpetuated like what they, I think what they thought was like cloaked homophobia, but wasn't. And, um, my parents took my lead as like when we talked about it or when we didn't. So like Mm. they noticed a lot of things from the parents' side and like just didn't talk to me about it unless I brought it to them. And, uh, and that helped me, I think, because if I didn't want to acknowledge it, I didn't have to. Um, And I think I, and I always knew I was gay. Like I saw Paul Rudd in Clueless and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. mm -hmm. Calls coming from inside (laughs) the house. Great. Moving on. Um, so, so yeah, so that, um, I was fine with myself in myself. I just, I just was like, how do I fit in this greater world? Yeah. Um, And college was helpful because I could totally reinvent myself. And I'm not saying that I wasn't my authentic self in high school, but I, I was teased a lot less in high school, but I think because I was so super like focused and hyper-driven and I, and uh, in a way, I think, I think that sort of helped my drive or my passion to do this because I knew it wasn't like I was on the fence about like, oh, do I keep dancing or do I stop? Cause people will stop picking on me. I think I knew they would still pick on me. I ju- it just wouldn't be about dancing. It would be about any other like fucking thing. Mm. So it, it, in a way it propelled me forward, but it was not always comfortable. But I think, I think I like speaking to that, like living my truth that you, um, like beautifully spoke about Harrison. I think that I think I feel like I owe that to my younger self and I owe that, I especially owe that to my students because I I teach at a private Catholic all girls school and we have not in the past served, like we, my school has not served students who are grappling with identity in the way that we should have. But in my room, I always do. And those students, those students come out to me, those students confide in me, those students, if they're if they're thinking about a name change, like I'm the first one to shift that. And I think because I have the power in that space and because I hold a certain power among the like when I'm with the student body my normalizing someone wanting to go by a different name or try different pronouns normalizes it for their peers. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say they don't get picked on, but I think that like modeling it with, without calling attention to it or without um, making a joke of it or making light of it, just making it part of our day part of our routine like we're
1: or like even an example of it like mm-hmm. like using it as an opportunity to yes. like inform others but it's just in the in the normal practice mm-hmm. of it you all will pick up on that this is something that you need to educate yourselves about
2: absolutely or ask
1: absolutely. Or, or ask but it's not yeah we're not going to mm-hmm. make an example of this student
2: yeah yeah and I I like I think think that I'm a fairly accepting person as myself but I think that my students um come into my mind in those moments where where I might not be inclined to be my best self and and that kicks in it's like Mm -hmm. I don't know it's like it's an added purpose um yeah, and, and I'm so grateful for it in this moment. I mean, I still have, uh, we had a policy during the like uh, one million, oh, oh oh oh, the March after
0: Parkland. Million, um, million Man, was, was it Million Lives, Million, yeah, the Million Lives, Million Man, something yes. like
2: that. Yes, so we had a policy that if you were in eighth grade, you had to write your teacher a note. You had to to hand it to them. say March for our lives. Happen.
0: March for our yes, lives.
2: March for our lives. March for our lives. I was like, oh my God, I can't
0: believe Yeah, I, I don't remember. I, it's um, hard to remember because they're all like, at this point now, like the left and the right are just like taking each other's names and shifting one thing. And now like it's hard to tell to what you. the hell is anything because that's like a joke mm-hmm. off of, it's like sort of ripping off of um, March for Life. Like it's mm-hmm. a little bit like taking that and shifting it. And yeah, anyway.
2: Yeah. Um, so we had this policy where you had to um, subtly pass your teacher a note and say you were going to the bathroom and go uh, stand with our upper schoolers because we they didn't want to open it to our whole middle school, which mm, we can talk about how what that looks like. But anyway, um, so I like I still have the couple of notes that my students gave me to go do that. And I'll probably have those forever. And I have mm-hmm. notes from a student last year who was having a really hard time and and educated me about different identities that like I that I hadn't heard of because of my privilege as a white passing gay man who hasn't had to know a lot of identities for, to know myself. So like, um, yeah, I feel like I I both owe it to my students and my students sort of like come into my mind in those moments and and force me or suggest that I um, be my better self.
0: I, wow. I love that. That's very beautiful. And to see also, like, one additional thing that I'll add on to that that I think is great, and it's something that, like, I think is really important for kids to see, is, like, an adult that, like, has fun in their life, like, which can be Mm. really hard. Because I remember growing up, like, teachers to me were always, like, the most serious people. Like, you are a very serious person, and this is what it is to be an adult, because this is my main example of an adult besides my parents. And... I'm learning and the more educating that I start to do, like just how important it is and how mind blowing I think it is for a lot of kids to witness like an adult that's like having fun and like is still living within the rules that like we have to live in within this space. But like we can have a good time and you Mm -hmm. can grow up and be an adult and you don't it, it you can get things done while having a good time, like it's not like life or death serious nonstop always, and I when think it
2: speaks to something Meg said earlier about like in in like youth theater training, like all words matter is sort of what i what I took from something you said earlier meg and and mm-hmm. I can remember directors, like, losing their shit when things didn't go well and, like, storming out of the room and crying and, like, have I cried in front of my students? Well, 100 percent, but I, it makes me think, um, it makes me think about, like, how I talk to them in those tough times where, like, I don't have the control anymore, like, the show has been uh, I've birthed my idea, and they're like the jeweler bringing it onto the wider world, and uh, and and yeah, and and in those moments, my words totally matter, and and and. that's that's where fun can come in, in a great way. So Mm -hmm. I'm always trying to, and I think I do this for myself when things don't go well in performances, like, then I'll find the joy in that performance. If I'm pissed off about that performance, I'll be like, well, I fucked that up. But here are the things I did well. So I do that for my kids. Um, And as I've been doing it longer, I'm getting better and more natural at it. It's not it's no longer something that's like warning at the front of my head like do this it's it's almost to quote Schitt's creek folded into my practice
1: Love that. <laughs> um in teaching at a at a Catholic school, and I I didn't realize that you also were raised in a Catholic household. Is that like something yeah. that's still in practice for you? Is that something that is now just like you're acquainted with and know the and can play by the rules of like when you're in that setting, or how does it go for you?
2: So I'm a recovering Catholic. Mm-hmm. Us too. Um, I I. I didn't realize how much I missed the traditions of a Catholic mass until I was sitting through them with my students. It's a good show.
0: It is a good show. Yes. They put on a damn good show. Like, for their God, they do it right.
2: (laughs) And sometimes the drag is like
0: crime. Yep.
2: (laughs) Um, Those robes. A collar, a stole. A hat.
0: A smell? An incense. In the, they got incense going. Yeah. It's a complete Bro, experience. 4D. D. In D. the right
2: D. season. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hello. Um, so yeah, so so I do, I do love Mia Um, I don't, I can't tell you the last time I went up for communion. Don't know when that was.
1: Mm. And
2: um it's funny because my mom is of the belief that like if she's in a setting and communion is being passed out she like has to get it she like doesn't care the last time she was in church last time she prayed last time she opened a bible she's like if it's out i have to get it like god is watching everybody's Whereas getting it i'm like
0: everybody's getting it <laughs>
2: right like it's like samples at costco but yeah. <laughs> where i'm like i'm like i can't because i don't know the last time i prayed or went to confession no. Or mm-hmm. or did any of that. And uh And there's
0: people crying like, over there about this. And I yes, can't get in yes. this line. I can't yeah. get and in I'm this like, line when she's crying yeah. about this, you know? Well, like. in the
2: first couple, our first couple all school masses, I just sat, I didn't get up. Like we have this mm-hmm. thing where you go up and receive a blessing. You put,
0: right. the, hands yeah. Yeah. Yeah, put the hands crossed, yeah. Yeah, with the hands crossed. I Catholic I sort school of forever. felt like that.
2: I sort of felt like that calls attention to you getting the blessing instead right. of like Just getting up in the line and going through and then sitting down like you have choreography in that in that moment and Mm -hmm. not everyone else is at that point in the choreography or like Mm -hmm. or is in that role doing that choreography you know so so i do like going to mass i i always tell my students before they perform anything in my class or before we perform um an after-school production to um to like go when the spirit moves you is my signature line and there's something I do that for myself anytime I perform anything. It's like a moment of silence, a moment of stillness. I clear my mind and then I know what I'm called to do in that moment, which it I didn't I didn't realize until I was at Stone Ridge is like spirituality. It's a moment of espacio, it's a moment of just like you and yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's folded into my teaching practice in that way. Um I found a prayer for performers that we do as our like pre-show ritual. So like that's become a part of it. Um so, and I'm getting into Father James martin um and sort of his books and his um because he he has this book about building the a bridge between the gay community and hmm. Catholicism that um, I read for school a couple years ago, and I'm going to make myself reread um, soon because I, I think I need it in my life again. But he came to Gonzaga um, High School in D.C. when they did um, the Laramie Project last year. Wow. Mm. And I had a couple students from Stone Ridge who because the girls can go and do shows at the boys schools um, as well as doing shows at our school. And I went to see it and I was just so moved about a Catholic school doing the Laramie project in general, mm-hmm. before I knew that he came to talk to the school and the students and the cast, um, in, I, in general, I was like, this is like radical Catholicism. I need to see what is.
0: It's also what routine. it's all about, right? Like with theater, Hello. like that's literally, yes. that quite literally is what it is all yes. about. You're like, Oh, we're going to just like use storytelling to actually try to change minds mm-hmm. and shift hearts, you know, like yeah, rocks.
2: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that's where I am with that. Um, there are times when it does come up and feel like an impediment in moving school culture forward, Mm -hmm. but I don't see it as like a negative thing. I see that as like the value added opportunity for, Mm -hmm. to like separate our school from other schools. Because if you look around, there aren't that many school, like independent Catholic schools in like the area of my school that are uh, being progressive thinkers on those subjects. Everyone is sort mm-hmm. of sitting and waiting for someone to do the work and to say that this is best practice. But I think I try to nudge us forward every year, just like a baby step. Cause the more, I don't know. I just think the more that we do for these students, um, the better our, our world is going to be down the road. Like they have so much to give and uh, so much progress they want to make. And if we make it for them while they're learning, then what they're able to accomplish will be exponential.
0: Well, and any kind of, you know, uh, cognitive dissonance between, those things they're they're just enhancing they're just enhancing the depth of their arguments for what they believe you know like ultimately yep. like if you're challenged and pushed on that and face forced to confront these two things that might seem in opposition for each other and have to make them live in harmony in order for your like you know day-to-day wellness like to be like that just only enhances your beliefs and make you like a stronger force to be out there in the world like making things good you know like think yep. about how many great um people are going to be able to like help move forward progressive or move move forward family members you know because they are mm-hmm. learning how to like because they are having to dismantle these arguments they are going to learn how to do them and be better at doing it and like it all just it feeds it feeds for sure um well with that in mind about faith what does kind of like afterlife look like in your brain the what do you think happens in the end
2: I'm torn. So okay. the,
0: the optimist in me wants
2: it to be like that scene in Big Fish where Edward Bloom's son sees all of these people he was talking about. <sighs> I was but crying
0: like, to, that, to he, that song like two days ago, man. It's so good. <laughs>
2: like, so it's so crazy. I mean, um, yeah, so first I'll unpack the idea and then I'll say my, like, okay, my little piece about Big Fish. So the thing that I love about that moment is that his son isn't seeing who he made these people to be. He's seeing like their authentic selves. Mm. And, um, every time he did that part of the show, it like crushed me in the best way possible. Um, so part of me hopes that like I can go to heaven and see like my loved ones who have passed away, but like really see them. And, uh, selfishly see like my birth parents and like there not be a language divide and actually be able to talk to them and and be able to like know like what I come from and who I come from because I uh I de- like I, I there's never been a moment where I thought that my adoptive parents are like fake parents or like not real parents. Like they are my two favorite people on this planet and they uh, I like would not be able to be all of the things that I am without them. So uh, yeah, but I, I, so selfishly, I want it to be that. And optimistically, I want it to be that. Realistically, I think it's like a void. I think it's just like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I Like rest. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, like um, restful. And like, I don't know, maybe it's like the room of requirement in that way. Like, cause I just, I don't know. I feel like at 33 going on 34, I am tired, so when, who knows, like, when I pass on, I'm going to need, like, self-care to the max, (laughs) so maybe it will just be, like, a void where I do, like, lotion, gloves, and socks, and, and, like, sissy that walk around, around my afterlife apartment, Um, (laughs) but it's, it's tethered to, to big fish for me, because, um, when, We did that show. Um, I did Dorian's Closet like the spring before that. And then the summer was Big Fish. And when my parents came to see Dorian's, after they saw the show, my mom told me that she had breast cancer. And like, they saw the show on a Saturday. I went back with them to stay at their hotel that night. They told me my mom had breast cancer. And then I went to do a matinee of the show about a drag queen who killed her boyfriend so um that was like really crushing and like and uh because I wasn't going to be able to be there with her for her um treatments and to like help take care of her and Mm
0: -hmm. and my
2: parents are older and and my dad is at the time was very um still pretty mobile but I mean it was just going to be like a lift for him um but then they came to see Big Fish that summer and that show is so much about like mortality and, and it's literally
0: like, about cancer
2: cancer at uh, familial relationships yep. and like mm-hmm. my mom and I do our relationship is not mirrored in big fish at all like she's like my best friend but but it wasn't until I realized that my parents were going to come see it that that scene like broke me every time of like of like um I'm, I'm, and by scene, I mean like literally the whole show because, and none of the parts that I was in except for that week because I was in all of the like goofy moments. But, but those moments of like uh, familial tension and how do you move through that and and is it sometimes good for us to sit in that? So, that's where that comes from. But I, I do, I don't know, I I do kind of hope it is like that. That but like maybe not with that, not maybe not with the song, but seeing the people. <laughs>
1: yeah just like getting like that like that last look or that like that little mm-hmm. closure you know yeah
2: closure ah yeah for us libras that's so
1: important meg oh my gosh you're telling me oh my Girl. goodness and then
0: everybody <laughs> drops the flowers one by one into the river and it becomes <laughs> up and then they go up, up into the river. projection
1: and that's Stunning. that's how it Stunning. happens
0: when you die that's how it goes
2: daffodils
0: daffodils Um, so we always cap the show with what we call the lightning round. It's lightning in name only. Feel free to take your time with these. Um, but yeah, so here we go. so when is the last time that you cried?
2: Oh, earlier this week, um, last week, my dad had to get, um, an emergency pacemaker and, uh, just... That is a very, I've, I, everything I knew about pacemakers up until that point comes from my 17 year relationship with Grey's Anatomy. Thank you. Um, so I know that that's a fairly routine procedure for a Christina Yang or, uh, um, a Teddy what's her face. I don't really care for her, but she did cardiothoracics, um, for them to do. Uh, but the thought of like loved ones being in a hospital right now, especially on, Mm -hmm unvaccinated uh sort of irked me from my complacency and I'm not going to say I'm very complacent these days because I don't think I am uh but that unexpected uh, emotional plot mm. twist was a bit and then I've just been kind of stressed out we're doing a uh virtual production of Dear Edwina with my middle schoolers
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
2: uh I like to know Control. I like to know that I am being what my students need in the moment. And I think because I'm learning so much as I build this project, I don't feel like I'm hitting the marks for them. They're having a good time and that's the whole point, but I don't generally... video the productions because i want them to remember like the visceral positive experiences and not to like watch it and like ruminate on like right oh my god i look terrible um because i know that's what i would do me too me too right exactly two
0: seconds <laughs> rip the rip it apart. must be bu- must like be burned that
2: that bat ma was not what i wanted it to be yep. like whatever mm-hmm. it is or like i made that face like whatever um so yeah so that was like Mm, last week i think yeah end of last week good cry
0: when's the uh last time that you laughed so hard that you cried
2: so i've been replaying one rupaul's drag race lip sync for your life over and over for myself <laughs> it's this season it's la la Rie versus joey j i'm so fancy
1: mm-hmm.
2: i i like, I've been jokingly calling La La Re LuLaRoe because I'm obsessed with pyramid schemes. <laughs> and I watched this, like, I don't know who did it, but it was, like, an inside the LuLaRoe scheme of, like, all of these women who have, like, boxes and boxes of, like, smelly leggings in their gar- in their garages. Uh-huh. And, um... So I was obsessed with calling Lala La, La Re, Lula Ro, And then she did this like really sickening lip sync against Joey J, And like Joey Jay threw money and she picked it up. And she had this like pencil, furry pencil case on her head and she took it off. She just like slayed the house down. So mm-hmm. anytime these days that I've needed a really good laugh, I just put that lip sync on for myself and just like go.
1: And that that, the bag dress, the bag... Oh bodice whatever oh Oh my god it's unforgivable like (laughs) let the record state it's unforgivable it oh my my gosh
2: your description of it like elevated it
1: already (laughs) (laughs) you
2: called it a garment it is literally patchwork paperbacks
1: hot glued to a corset a disaster (laughs) Hot glued to no, a disaster. So-
0: <laughs> the Red Cross would not be. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. so funny. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: when, is the, yeah. when is the last version of yourself that you look at, or what is the last version of yourself that you look at uh, and don't identify with anymore? Uh, what has changed and why?
2: So I think like four years ago. it it was this time where I was feeling this pressure to be booking consistently and was also going out for things I knew I was wrong for. And then that was true. That was coinciding with like, Uh, with like a, uh, it's not even a group of friends, like a community of people who I felt socially uncomfortable around and needed to lubricate with cocktails. And then would get to a point out in the world and be like, oh no, we're past the point, of no, no return. I need to go home. And I would call myself an Uber from the dance floor. I would say goodbye to two people and I would Irish exit the F out of that place and go home and eat some mozzarella sticks. And um, uh, I'm sort of like grateful for that time. Like, that, like there was fun to be had. I'm not saying that I was just like, binge drinking, lying on the dance floor, calling myself an uber human. But I knew that I wasn't comfortable, authentic, what have you. And uh, it was showing up in auditioning and it was showing up in my social life. And I think that the minute that I reassessed and uh, realized that that just because all these people you know are going out for this thing if it is not right for you it is self care for you not to also do that to yourself because if you mm-hmm. know you're not going to have um you're not going to book it or you're not going to do yourself justice or you're not going to show something that is just not in your spirit then like why why do that um so yeah so i and like I met a lot of great people at that time, like Harrison, I met you at that time. And I met a lot of like people I consider really good friends. There were just also a lot of other people who, um, to my journey were not like feeding my spirit and I didn't need to put myself in those situations.
0: And you know, that, that, I think like you're talking about something that's a pretty, that is a relatively, uh, untalked about, but a tricky trap of this industry. is like when groups of people, when things start happening and groups of people who um, uh, start working a lot and together and in groups, there starts to become this weird energy that gets infused and it can become really fucking dark really fast. And I empathize with that. And it's funny that we talked about Big Fish because, like, for me, like, that period of time where I'm, like, that's... I identify with, like, feeling that similar, like, farness from myself was during the period of working on Big Fish. And so that's, like, why that show is so, like, emotionally powerful to me, you know? Like, and it's a tricky trap, man. This is a it's like it's a f- completely fulfilling industry at times, and it can it can slip very quickly into being a dark hole and a void and it's about having that that level head and that that knowing what you want to do and uh I think that's beautiful and thanks for talking about that thanks for talking about that's that time um,
2: It's just like i don't know it, and and uh at at the time that I was feeling this way. Other things, like it was showing up in other places in my life, but i I like didn't want to I don't know, I didn't want to name it or i I, w- I was feeling like other people other people are handling it so much better than I am or whatever. but as with anything, like when we demystify it or destigmatize it and or name it in public spaces, then like other people can be seen or other people can see their experience and And, um, yeah, and then you don't feel so trapped by it.
0: Yep. Yep. And thank you for sharing that because I, I really do think, like, that's an experience that, uh, I think it's something that a lot of people suffer with quietly, that feeling, that, like, pull, that, like, I need to, I need to be more in order to, like, get all of Mm -hmm. this other, um, things that everybody else is and and what's going on here and and am I doing Mm -hmm. something wrong and yeah it's that's yeah wow thank you thank you uh and if you could implant a piece of advice into the world for yourself every day to hear what would it be
2: Um, it would involve my inner saboteur (laughs) I don't know like Tiziano speaks to this all the time like RuPaul speaks to it with her Mm-mm. queens like almost every season there's one queen who is just like sabotaging herself and getting in her way and uh and sometimes Ru has a has a breakthrough and sometimes she does not um but Tiziano a lot of the time will call me out on it and I'm I'm grateful to that butch queen first time in drag on for n- multiple reasons but <laughs> especially for this reason because I think I've been able to tell, to tell myself this at points where my inner saboteur would come in because he has done that for me for like years. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, it, it definitely is like either like you're, you're better than your inner saboteur, you're more powerful than your inner saboteur, just like stepping out of my own way. Um, which in my seat, my, my quest for, uh, or control is, is hard, but, uh, but yeah. yeah. That
1: resonates. I, yep. I am. Um, I, I think that's great advice. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. It's hard because your saboteur is part of you. Yes. And so you have to like acknowledge that it is part of me and not mm-hmm. all of me. And mm-hmm. that like, ultimately I am, I am more than that. So I can overcome that. And like, but That's hard because it starts to feel all consuming sometimes. And when those are like, like, yeah. It's like
2: self-collectivism. It's like owning all pieces of myself allows me to accomplish things or to step outside of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. or to be my authentic self. And if I try to ignore or single out or like push that part of myself to the side, then I'm not bringing all of myself to whatever it is and I For think sure. circling back to like rehearsal rooms like the last couple times that I was in a rehearsal room I I did that and the the um, either the product or like the foreseen product down the line felt so much better to my journey because hmm. I was. Present as my whole self in those experiences. And I, anytime that I would let that saboteur get in the way, because like, real tweet, when we talk musical theater and when we talk a musical theater process, I don't come alive when we're sitting learning music. I am the most in my head that, like, my inner saboteur thrives on a music rehearsal. My inner saboteur thrives on nailing down harmony parts that I have not had the time to drill on my own by myself in my room. Uh, my inner saboteur, uh, I think because I am like, I, I am a physical performer, like choreography is a moment for me creating a character's walk or a character's body or comedic timing, like, those, those are where my gifts shine, mm-hmm. so, um, those early days in a process can be, uh, I can beat myself up, but, like, starting with dress-up day with Meg at the helm, like, I did not let myself do that in that process very consciously, like, I, over those pages in that script was writing, like, to myself, like, do not, like, do not give up at this part of a song because you know you're effing this up. Like, do not, like, dip out um, uh, energetically because
1: it is not going how you want it to go. And then And especially difficult because it was a new musical. And so there's nothing that you can even listen to. Like, I mean, I have to say you are such an all-star because it's like very tricky to be learning new music and have no like, and just have sheet music and somebody plunking out something that's going to be like changing in two days probably. Has brought me (laughs) to tears both times
0: I've done it. it. Has brought me to tears both times I have done original shows in learning music. It has brought me to tears in my car, multiple fucking times. it's hard. as shit. It's totally, totally. Uh, good for you. and then, like,
2: and like in cabaret, um, that was just such a dream that like i I like had to sit down with myself. I lit an abundance candle, charged my crystals, and I told myself, like you will be present for every day of this process. Like you will show up, you will, and like, I got defeated a little bit. I'm not like, if I, like whatever, it wasn't like stellar, but nothing, like what is stellar all the time. But I think my, rea- I I like shortened my reaction time in those moments of like doldrums or like self-flagellation and uh, and bounced back with like a renewed sense of self, didn't bounce back like apologizing. Mm. Um, which I think old me did a lot. Old me did a lot. And like, apologized for like even taking up space in a room. Um, And then Harrison and I got to start working on a new brain with so many lovely people. And that just like, I mean, hearing it reflected on your podcast with like various guests, because like everyone and their grandmother was in that room. Like it, it was just... I don't know. Like my inner saboteur loves to take the shape of um imposter syndrome. Mine too. He loves to tell me that like I am not living up to something or or I need to prove why I'm in the room every day that I'm in the room and early days I mean like what were we there seven days if you round up so like (laughs) early into those seven days we did like
0: two weeks basically that yeah yeah two three weeks
2: yeah (laughs) so like early into that first week I was telling myself like oh my god you're not doing like what you were cast to do like like what are you doing and then like one little change Kate made on something really connected with me and then I was like oh like A, this is the character, B, everything doesn't have to be a push. Like I learned that years ago when I studied voice with Joshua Morgan, who just like changed my life, like uh, that man, just like (laughs) changed the way that I sing, changed the way that I approach what I do, changed my like outlook on myself and like my ideas of what I thought I was capable of doing um, in like beautiful, amazing, powerful ways. And and that was this thing with Kate. It was like it like because your essence in a lot of ways is this character, you like it, it's going to feel different because it doesn't feel like work, because it's like, it's like it was like like fit to you like a glove. So then yeah. once I gave over to that, it I was like, oh my God. And then it was over. But oh uh, and
0: and yeah i I wish people had gotten to see. I, I know we ta- every time it comes up on this show, I say it, but it's like it truly is like what was so fun to for me about it is like, and I think, you know, a large testament, uh, a large testament to Kate and her casting of the show is like it was people that I love watching perform truly fucking crushing, like crushing yes. in like a oh my yes. God. Dude, hell yes, kind of way, like yeah, and uh, and it was cool, and that I think is again just like a huge testament to like I agree with like I think something that I love about Kate's direction is she's so she's so able to just hit you with exactly what you needed to hear to push to just get the shift. Just goes yep. like it's it's right over there actually, and you're like oh cool <laughs> cool cool cool
2: thank you absolutely, and I think so much like. And I'm someone who like, I like going to the theater for me is as is like is and was a hobby and then doing it is and was a passion so like I've I like, uh, what am I getting at.
1: Mm,
2: Lost my train of thought. Oh, it can be so easy to look at all of these people, whether it's like doom scrolling those videos of like every girl in America saying Christopher Columbus is Astonishing, or like every person's Fierro riff in uh, in that song in Wicked where she has the cauldron in the bag and the book and the hat. Um, oh, good deed. Thank you, Queen. Um, knew you'd know. Yeah. Um, musical theater looks like so many things on so many bodies and so many voices. And what I can perceive as being like she's pushing or he's pushing or they're pushing or like using a lot of effort on that person or in that person's body feels totally differently. Like maybe there are points that feel like pushing or maybe there are points that feel a little more relaxing to them. Um, So uh, because I'm someone who likes to go down those rabbit holes every so often and likes to do it and likes to watch other people do it, Um, I don't always check back in with myself and can get into a headspace of, like, not catering what a role or a moment or a song or a note needs in my instrument. And Mm -hmm. I can be thinking what I experience of other people's instruments. So I I try to circle the wagons back to me um, Mm -hmm. before doing that, Um, especially... After trying to play Richard in a new brain, thinking that I needed to be all these things when I needed to be me.
0: Boom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, Rick, this was the best. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us. I like truly you are you always just make me light up it make to talk to you. You are so funny and so full of joy and wisdom and you know we're just better for knowing you so thank you for for coming on today it was so good to see you
2: I'm so good to see both of you I mean I've just like loved your podcast from episode one with Noah and I just think that like in this time when we can't see our friends or hug our friends or like get a drink with our friends or make art with our friends that like hearing what you bring out in all of your guests and how like you make them feel seen and heard and their experience echoed through your, um, curating of the conversation, um, has gotten me through many of these last months. So I'm just so grateful for both of you. Thank you. I'm
0: grateful for you. Thank you.
1: We're grateful for you. And I'm excited for, and I hope that this, I know that this episode will do the same for other people, you know, hearing, hearing your experience, um, yeah, so I can't. Oh, gosh. We just and love it. If it you. doesn't,
2: at least they look up La, La Ree and Joey J. <laughs> yes. And for well.
0: their lives. Or cats. And or sing. cats.
2: Or, if you become a Cats fan from this podcast, you're welcome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, you honestly Mission are. Welcome. accomplished. And, and welcome to the Cats verse. Like, it's deep. <laughs> deep. There's so much to do and unpack. Get to work. And next up, Starlight <laughs> Dench, Express.
2: Judy Dench reciting, That's How You Address a Cat. Classic
0: (laughs) culture. Dame Judy, folks. Dame Judy. Serving. Oh, I love it. Rick.
1: Well, enjoy the rest of your self-care Saturday. You too. It was good to see you. So good to see you guys. Oh my gosh. Rick truly had me cracking up. Like, I think that I've probably never laughed so much in any episode. I'm constantly laughing in listening back to this
0: his ability to draw references and also just like how much funny stuff he says that just like and he really just like tosses it out i'm like it rocks you know he'll just like like toss out the most brilliant one-liner and move right into the next thing and you're still, yeah. You're still processing Every, it.
1: Yes, everyone is still processing and laughing, and he is literally ten words into the next sentence. You know what I Razor mean? Razor sharp. Not even he's not like looking for your reaction. He's saying it because like it elevates <laughs> the truth <laughs> the of the story. Too, yep. Yes, <laughs> it's so good. Oh my gosh, he just truly. Oh, I love. I love anytime I get to talk to him, or just be around him, or see him post online like he is just one of my favorite people that has come into my orbit in the past several years. He is just yeah the best.
0: Big fans, big one- fans. Hope you were too oh. and know you were. I know you were.
1: Yes, yes. And um speaking of fandoms, we talked about the cats verse. And I'm like lying. a lot Loki. <laughs> Well, I want to talk about it only a little bit more because okay. I don't know We can know. talk about
0: it forever. Well, there's so much to discuss.
1: Do you know that do you know my story of seeing cats? Have I told it on here before?
0: It's hard to say. Maybe. I don't know. Share it, share it now. Share it now.
1: Okay. I'll Just share to it say now. Say who's so- tuning
0: in for the first time. If you aren't, hit that 15-second button a couple times. You'll be all right. Or
1: listen again. <laughs> um, so okay. One day, a few years ago, I was having a not great day at work. I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm like done. Uh, And eh, so I wrapped up. I'm like wrapping up my work. I'm like, I'm going to get out of here because if I do, I can pick up an edible and get to the Kennedy Center for the 2 p.m. matinee this Thursday afternoon of cats on tour. So I did just that. Um, I'm like really pushing it to get there before the curtain goes up. I was like walking in, <laughs> like they were about to have to hold me in the lobby because cats like come through the audience at the beginning of the show, so I was going to be like running into cats if I didn't get to my okay, seat And like wait that so
0: instant. Just a question, just a quick question.: Yeah. Did you now timing-wise? I so for folks perfect. at home, for folks at home. <laughs> timing-wise. Did you this said edible? Did you take this at the start of the show? Did you take this in your car? Like, like no, did no, these no. cats like, descending upon you? Mm-hmm. No, was they, it had a the experience? Effect, they had the
1: effect. Yeah, the exact desired effect, which is that like as I'm Terror, walking out, pretty much that, out of the like <laughs> as I'm <laughs> as I'm like walking out of the store, I'm taking the edible. So that way, when the lights go down, I am like at the jellical ball. Like I am. They're unreal. And I, I, I just couldn't believe it. Like these people were walking out on stage like cats, and uh, it blew my mind. And anytime I would like disengage or be like or start to just be like, "What is even happening?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, they're just being cats." Like I don't know. I really had the profound understanding of what they were doing and respect. It's about because- dude, cats. Is
0: about life, dude.
1: But dude, it's fucking 3 PM on a Thursday and these 30 people are committing to this bit better than like anything I've ever seen. And it's so, about life. That's all I have to say. You just have to respect it. You like do. that's all. You don't have to like it, but you do have to respect it.
0: Well, listen, any person, <laughs> any person who gets out there and hoofs it in cats, well, folks, you're gonna get the Good to See You Hero Award. <laughs> Well, folks, you're going to get that pinned on your little lapel because you are a hero. Because that show requires 1,000 million percent commitment. And I have to say, if anybody out there is looking to produce Cats, I have an offer for you. <laughs> I would love to play Mr. Mistopheles. And I will choreograph my own dance. I just <laughs> simply ask, which I've done in... in which I have done before in shows and in recitals. Let it be known. I won't name which ones. I'll let everybody, you know, speculate upon that. Uh-huh. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joshing about. Um, but, but I will do that if you'd like. I will freestyle dance as Mr. and as long as I can have the electricity glove effect from the original production where he's shooting electricity around. You know what I'm talking about?
1: I... I, ex- I know exactly what you're talking about, and the offer sounds so enticing that I'll, I'll, I'm going to get in on it, and I, am, I will offer to play uh, an imp- improvised uh, performance of Victoria, the like, beautiful white ballet cat. I think that I'll, I'm also willing to come up with my own choreography, and, and I would love to join the production.
0: Well, guess what? You're hired. We're a package deal. If anybody wants to buy the Good to See You Cats package, that is now available for you. We will be uh, accepting Bitcoin or GameStop stocks. So just please uh, DM us at Good to See You Pod, uh, Inquire Within.
1: Speaking of dance, speaking of dance, um, we talked a little bit about Tap in this episode. And I was just thinking that we should. <laughs> I just was, it just was making me think about, I don't tap dance. I have never really danced well at all. And I would refer to myself as Madam Mover. And uh, we, but we did hoof it in the back of tap class together for,
0: <laughs> we sure for a did. few months there. Yeah, we, we really sure did. did. And you were great. And I, I was very bad at it.
1: No, I, I was also bad at it. Like, I'm willing to say that you were bad, but I'm also (laughs) going to say I was bad, too. Like, we were both not great.
0: I mean, we had a lot of fun, like, selling it. Like, we spent a lot of time learning how to truly sell it.
1: A buffalo? I will. I could never never do it, but darn it, would I sell it.
0: I was the warm-up, king of the warm-up by the end. I could do the (laughs) warm-up. like a motherfucker you best believe if you want someone to do that tap one more pa pa ka ka pa pa ka ka yeah you best believe I can still do that shit to this day but you know uh, that the rest of it a hair would go downhill from there
1: yeah yeah not for me but you know what I respect it uh, immensely I think it's oh it's
0: an incredible art form I, I, like, yeah. barely know how to do it at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you could barely get a shuffle out of me. But, I mean, wow. Mad respect to, to everybody that can really can really five, six, seven, eight with, with I, some
0: taps on. I also should just put a disclaimer while we're talking about dance. Like, and we don't really hmm. talk about it. It's like Rick is one of my favorite dancers in town. Oh. I've been in some shows where, like, we've had to hoof it. Like some of mm-hmm. the hardest dances I've ever done, and I've ever seen anyone do, and like he just e- eats, 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 like eats, just wow, yeah, like one of the best dancers, one of the most charismatic dancers I've ever seen, like, and anytime I get to see him dance in a show, it's just like such a pleasure, and like brings he brings so much life to choreography, like, and he's an incredible choreographer too. I mean, I should say. Um-
1: Yes, I'll speak to that. We were, um, we, we talked a little bit in the episode about um, Dress Up Day, which was a reading I directed for Monumental like two years ago, and Rick was in it. And he, um, I, I was also like sort of choreographing. I mean, like that's a very generous phrase for what was happening. But there was one song about Martha Graham that really did require some choreography. It's Martha Graham. Like we had yeah, to. Yeah, of course. And it was a jazz number, obviously. And uh, so I was trying to come up with something and like, and Rick was really good about like, actually that is not easy for us. How about we try, like, can we modify it this way? This is going to make it look really, he was in the cast, but just was such like a great (laughs) asset to me in trying to like, so kind and generous, like with his talent and yeah. So gosh, we just adore him.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, the, he's incredible. I mean, dancing with him in town is like some of my favorite memories of performing mm. in these. Actually, like dancing with him, dancing with that whole ensemble of people is like some of my favorite, like most fun memories. That was a really fun cast on the show.
1: Um, I forgot to ask Rick where people could find him oh, online. Yes. But we have him tagged in the show notes and and the social media post, so you can find him there. You can find Correct. me at Meg Bun.
0: Oh, you can find me at double h double a double r double i double s double o double n on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find oh my other podcast is back. Uh, it's rocking. New episodes on Saturdays. Um, it's called Super Mind Exploiter. You can find that anywhere you get your podcasts, or check the show notes to follow the social media. Um, and you can follow this very show on social media at good to see you Pod. Find those links also in the show notes.
1: And you can give us a rating interview on Apple podcasts. And you know what? I like kind, it. You know what kind of rating
0: I would like? Five stars. Five very stars. <laughs> I'm like five of your very most wonderful Apple stars, please. <laughs>
1: Um, Yeah, that will be really good.
0: For sure. Well, Meg, it was good to see you.
1: It was really good to see you.
0: Bye.